welcome to the Central Vineyard podcast. We're really pleased you've chosen to join us today. Our vision is to be a transformational church community, following Jesus, joining God in the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us in person if you're able to on a Sunday morning. If you would like more details, you can visit our website at centralvineyard.co.uk. everyone. Um, I'm Dan, if you're new here today, um, come and say hi if you don't know me. So today we start a series on Matthew, the kingdom of God. It's February, you've all woken up, we've got January past us, is that right? I'm not getting it from the faces to be honest. Um, We're going to look at the kingdom of God. It's been great to look at the practice of solitude over the last few weeks. Uh, Do continue to look into that um, in community uh, and and step into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Um, As I said, we're looking at the the Gospel of Matthew over the next seven weeks and the Kingdom of God. And so I've got the task of introducing the Kingdom of God. Yeah. Yeah. My heart's beating a little bit, let's put it that way. You know, where do you start? It's massive. Um, And to be honest, we're going to go through a bit of a ride this morning. Hopefully it will be a good ride. It might be a bit intense for the first half, but then we'll bring it back in uh, and conclude with a bit of simplicity of how we submit to Jesus, our Lord and King, the King of the Kingdom. So today we're going to focus on Kingdom theology, God's big story. Uh, we believe, in the, in, especially in the vineyard movement, of kingdom theology. It's pivotal in our beliefs and one of the fundamentals as Christians. And the Gospel of Matthew is central in that. Of course, the whole Bible is, is that. But the kingdom of God really comes alive, and we'll see that as we explore Matthew together. We'll look at the start of Matthew and get a glimpse of God's grace in his kingdom. And then at the end, we've got time to provide an opportunity to respond together in an act of how we join in in God's kingdom. So you might have to bear with me to begin with. I'm going to throw quite a lot of information at you and we'll share... Um, some links to explore it uh, during the week so you can get to know in a deeper way. But bear with me if it gets a bit, a bit intense. Hopefully it won't. We'll see. So first of all, God's kingdom, God's plan for his people. You may re- remember this illustration last year when I spoke on uh, I Am The Way. Uh, It talks about, the the illustration shows us how God's creation, he designed the world to dwell with us. He's the beautiful picture of creation we see in Genesis. But Adam and Eve choose to go their own way, and we get de-creation. Sin enters the world. We see the brokenness of the world. But Jesus, in his power and perfection, broke the power of sin and leads us into a recreation. That's really a reminder. But as we look at the kingdom, we see that going through. 
So the next slide, quite a bit more detail. Derek Morphew, who's quite um, key in the vineyard movement, he's a theologian. I've stolen all of this for him. We'll s I'm not going to take any credit for, apart from trying to, to explain it this morning. Gives us a sense of, of just what Jesus did, what God did from the beginning, what Jesus did and how pivotal it is in building God's kingdom to a perfect new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. So as we think of God's big story, God's kingdom, which has a pattern of sin and brokenness on the left-hand side, and then redemption and renewal on the right-hand side. Creation. As I said, God designs and creates the world to be a perfect ecosystem, a place where he could walk and talk with his people. Adam and Eve choose their own way. Sin enters the world, and we see a broken humanity. Humanity is broken. Sin and brokenness enter the world, and, human and humanity and the world starts to deteriorate. Then we see God's people, Israel, rise up. God gives, gives them uh, his word. After the fall, the Old Testament gives us images of the two kingdoms of this world. We see it first in the exodus of Israel from Egypt, a clash of two powers, God's people and the Egyptians. A picture of the promises of a heavenly kingdom in the midst of conflict and suffering. And God liberates them. He takes them out of Egypt. And Israel confesses that the Lord will reign forever and ever in Exodus 15. God makes a covenant with them and declares, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation in Exodus 19. You've just got to read the Psalms during David's uh, time as monarch, as king. You see the clash of two kingdoms going on. You see the inner conflict that David has. We see the prophecies that will come of a coming king in, in, in Isaiah, of a coming spirit in Isaiah 32, 35, and there's others, and a coming salvation. Jesus is prophesied as the king who will come. When Jerusalem starts to fall apart and it is being destroyed, God's promises and prophecies were, a, were of a king who was going to come and redeem, come and restore, a king who would start the renewal process to bring God's people back to himself. And we see all the way through the Old Testament, there were signs, <coughs> visions, prophecies of what the messianic kingdom would look like. Jesus as our king, as our saviour, as our messiah. And you get this remnant, the few people at the end who really still get God's kingdom uh, at, towards the end of the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes, the promised Messiah, the promised Savior, the new Adam, 
the perfect sacrifice for our sins, the good shepherd, the prince of peace, the son of God. And this is where the fulfillment of the law of God's promises, of God's prophecies came true in him being the king of God's kingdom. And the renewing power of Jesus' life, death and resurrection have turned things upside down. Jesus shows us what the kingdom of God is like, what he created us to be, and that God is in the business of renewing things. And as we delve into Matthew's gospel, we should have a context. And in fact, Matthew shows what has come before, and he also shows the kingdom that breaks through with Jesus, and he shows what new creation looks like. And then you get the right-hand side, the multiplication. So Jesus chooses his 12. He shows his disciples what the kingdom looks like. And then we read in Acts how the kingdom multiplies. So it goes to the 12, to the 72 120, and then grows thousands upon thousands in Acts, and the church emerges. And we see the church step in to that kingdom, and we see what a new humanity looks like, what we are created to be in God's eyes. And then we have new creation, the perfect kingdom, where Everything is made new again. The new heavens and the new earth that we read uh, in, in Revelation in particular. And that is our new creation. If you could change to the next slide, Rosie. So we're in this era now of the now and the not yet. Jesus brings the breakthrough of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and empowers us to build this kingdom. And we're in the now, the tension of the two kingdoms that we live in now. The kingdom of God and the kingdom that is at work in the world, in ourselves, and Satan also ruling. We know what God's kingdom is about. We know what his plans are of what it says in the Bible, and it will be perfected in the new heavens and the new earth, in our new creation, in God's new creation. But God's kingdom can break through now, into a fallen world right now. We have the power of Jesus' resurrection, of the Holy Spirit with us, that gives us power now. And we see that played out in Matthew's Gospel in particular. I heard a quote as I was preparing for this uh, that I thought was quite useful. Expectation without agenda. We should expect God's kingdom to break through now. We saw it in Jesus' day. We, we saw it in Acts as the church was growing, and we see it in the world today. We should have an expectation that God will redeem and renew situations, heal us spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, 
we should expect the freedom that comes with the power of the gospel. Freedom from the bondage of sin, from oppression, from what holds us captive. We should have expectation, but not with our own agenda of what is right. Of course, we pray and we expect the kingdom to break through, but we trust God to deal with it because he owns the big picture of the kingdom. If things are not what we expect or are praying into, maybe we've prayed for days, weeks, months, years, we still have the expectation, but we trust God and his work. At Upper Room, I shared some verses, and it was some of this stirring as I was preparing this morning from Psalm 112. Verse 6 to 8 says, Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. Our hearts should be steadfast however God decides to move. But that shouldn't phase our devotion for praying for breakthroughs, for praying for breakthroughs of the kingdom and the power of God. Expectation of God's kingdom without our own agenda. I was trying to think of a a good illustration for God's big story. I couldn't get one right, to be honest, but I landed on one. It's not perfect, but hopefully it gives us some idea. And if you're an artist here, hopefully you can can, um, can, uh, I don't know what I'm going to say. Yeah, you could explain it better than me. Think of an amazing work of art, a truly perfect watercolour, creation by an exceptional artist, carefully taking care of every small brushstroke to make it right. This is how God made the world and how it was meant to be. The painting was truly beautiful and truly perfect. But somebody's come along with a cup of water and splashed it all over the painting. The painting still has beauty in it, but it's blurred. There's some of it that you don't recognize at all, and there's some of it that might be blurred. You can see that there is beauty behind it, but you can't quite see it. And then you get maybe an amateur artist coming along and trying to repaint the the picture. It looks all right sometimes, but sometimes it goes horribly wrong again. And it's still not adequate. God's people tried to live by the standards of God's kingdom. But it kept going through cycles of redemption and failure. As God took Israel through in the Old Testament. It needs somebody to repaint and renew the painting. It needs a saviour. Someone who would come and take the care, attention, someone who is perfect to renew the painting and repaint the amazing creation. 
as I said, there's many flaws to this illustration. One of them that actually God empowers us to do his work. Part of the renewal is God's work, but through us. He entrusts us to start repainting the picture. Sometimes we'll get it wrong, but sometimes we'll see the power of the kingdom coming through. Another one is you don't see the cost that it was for Jesus to bring back renewal, to bring back forgiveness, to bring back power, to renew things. I hope in the next few weeks as we go through Matthew, we'll understand this a little bit more. We'll understand more of what the kingdom is about. And we, well, the question is, do we want to be part of the story, part of the narrative of the kingdom of God? So we're going to zoom in a little bit now. So Matthew's gospel, um, maybe you could turn to it if you've got a Bible. There are Bible, New Testaments on the landing. So Matthew, he's a former tax collector. He was one of Jesus' disciples also known as Levi in Mark and Luke. He's a Jew. He's a Galilean Jew. We don't need this quite yet. Sorry, Rosie. Uh, he was a Galilean Jew. And as a Jew, the, the book of Matthew has a strong connection with the Old Testament. And the fulfillment of Jesus in the Old Testament promises and prophecies and laws. Matthew understood how Jesus was central to the fulfillment of God's big story, the fulfillment of the promises of a breakthrough kingdom, a kingdom that would be brought about by Jesus as king. Matthew was an interesting man. If you've seen The Chosen, you'll get a bit of an idea of his quirky character. He was a Jew on one hand. He understood God's promises and law, and he was a tax collector on the other hand. He knew and benefited from the rule of Rome and the conflict it had with the Jews. Matthew 9, verse 9 uh, to 13, talks about how Jesus called Matthew. It says this, as Jesus went on from there, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew knew what it was like to be a Jew, but he also knew what it was like to be a sinner. He would have been looked down on by the Jews, by the Pharisees in particular, and probably by the Romans as well. His life probably mainly revolved around money. 
as a tax collector. And as we look how he structures the gospel, we see five key themes between an introduction and a conclusion. The Bible Project explains this in more detail. We'll send the link out so um, that you, could, you can look. What's helpful about this is you understand the context as you read through the gospel. And you can hear what's coming. The challenge for us over the next seven weeks is can we read the gospel of Matthew together? But I'd encourage you to understand the context of it as you read it so that you can understand what's going on and how, what Matthew is trying to bring out uh, in terms of Jesus' ministry and God's kingdom. Chapters 1 to 3 show, show Jesus' connection to the Old Testament, what has come before. We'll look a bit later at the genealogy of Jesus. He, the line of David, descendant of Abraham, who God promises to bless all the nations. Jesus' birth was fulfilled in the Old Testament promises. The fact he was born in Bethlehem was a prophecy, a virgin birth, and Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew wants to show there's no doubt that Jesus was not only human, but he was Emmanuel, God with us. And then we get to the five topics in the sandwich. We've got a sandwich in, Deborah. Do you like that? Um, we get five things. He's showing how Jesus was a rabbi. You know, you've got the five books of the Torah that, that um, rabbis taught. Well, you can kind of see this reflected in how Matthew wrote his gospel. So in chapters 4 to 7, he, show, he, he shows how Jesus announces God's kingdom. Chapters 8 to 10, Jesus brings the kingdom to the people, all people and background. He calls people to follow him. Chapters 11 to 13, the responses to Jesus, those who accept, those who were just not bothered, and those who rejected him. The parables in those are used to give uh, listeners a chance to learn about the kingdom and decide about the kingdom. What we often find in those chapters is that the irreligious and the unimportant are those who are given faith and transformed by the Spirit. And it was often the religious and socially or morally important who would reject Jesus. Chapters 14 to 20, different expectations of the kingdom. The Pharisees think that the Messiah is going to come with big military power to defeat their enemies. Even Jesus challenges Peter that he's come to suffer as a servant to defeat the powers of sin and darkness. And Jesus teaches of the upside-down kingdom, that we gain honor by serving. He shows us what forgiveness means. He shows us not to seek revenge. And he shows us what true wealth is by giving away. 
And then in the fifth, chapters 21 to 25, the clash of the kingdoms. Jesus overturned the tables in the temple. He challenged authorities. He teaches about hypocrisy. He teaches that the temple will be destroyed, that there will be a new Jerusalem when the Son of Man comes in his glory and those who trust in him will inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. And the conclusion in chapters 26 to 28 is how Jesus fulfilled the promise. His death he's linked to the great commission of empowering the church. Matthew shows us that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for Jews and non-Jews were not for, to despair, but it was the good news. It was the fulfillment of the promises and prophecies of the coming king. It was news that would shake the earth, news that should shake us up. It's news of God's redeeming and powerful kingdom coming into the world. You can breathe a bit now. Maybe I can breathe a bit now. It gets a little bit easier from here. So in the next few weeks, we're going to look at how Matthew's gospel shows what God's kingdom is all about. We've got the topics on screen we're going to talk through the cost of, di of discipleship, the cost of, of joining God's kingdom. It's not always an easy ride. It does come at a cost. The power of the kingdom, we're going to look at the, the power that came with God's kingdom as it broke through and as Jesus showed. The mission of the kingdom, the clash of the kingdom, the faith in the kingdom, and ultimately it leads to a decision. Who do you say I am? Who do we say that Jesus is? And just before Easter, we'll see the, the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look a bit more detail about God's upside-down kingdom. We call it the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel, or the Greek euangelion, means good news. The Gospel of Matthew is all about good news. Not everyone felt that Jesus brought good news. The Pharisees and Sadducees expected a king to come who would overthrow Rome free Israel from the bondage and instability that they were in. But Jesus came as a humble man and stirred up and challenged their attitudes. Matthew not only felt Jesus' grace in calling, in, in Jesus calling him to follow him, but Matthew also shows God's grace throughout the book. So let's have a look. It took me a while to get to Matthew 1, didn't it? But we're there now. Let's look at Matthew 1. I, I'm going to spare you reading it, to be honest. Like, let, it's hard to read Matthew 1, the genealogy. Um, but I just want to set the context of the genealogy of Jesus, how Matthew starts his gospel. It's easy to start reading it and then 
be like, this is a lot of names, what on earth does it mean? And get a bit distracted. And to be honest, I've, I've read Matthew a lot of times and I've probably not picked up on some of the truth behind why he started like this. There's a lot of names, a lot of facts in that. Um, and in that time, the ge genealogies were almost like a CV for today. Where you came from, your family history was like your pedigree. The way you would recommend yourself to the world. And as some people, I'm sure none of you do this, but as some people do, they might distort their CV a little bit. You know, may leave out some things that don't look very good and may amplify things that look good and will give you the job. So you would think that Matthew introducing Jesus, especially from the context of, of the Old Testament, would, would puff up a little bit. Well, the answer's no if, if we look at it. Let's just read the few verses. It's paraphrased a little bit um, in between. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Adam, of Abraham, sorry. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father, um, see, I'm already getting it wrong. I'm, I'm only doing a bit of it. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. I've missed some out. It doesn't mean that they're not important. Um, but I just wanted to focus on the ones here. Because I think it's super interesting why Matthew included some of the names when he didn't have to. There's, there's five gender outsiders there. Women weren't considered important at the time in genealogies. And, but Matthew includes them. But in that culture, they were considered gender outsiders. Matthew includes non-Jews Gentiles, they were considered racial outsiders in that culture. And Matthew includes great sinners who would be considered as moral outsiders in that culture. This shows that those excluded by culture and even some of God's, well, went against some of God's laws are included in God's family by his grace. It shows that no matter your race, gender, or sins that you've done in the past, we are equally sinful and lost. But we're also equally accepted and loved by God, which needs, leaves no room for superiority. Rahab was a prostitute. Matthew calls out Uriah, one of King David's best friends, who risked his life for David in battle. Yet David arranged for him to be killed so he could be with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Matthew, a Jew himself, had the audacity to call some of these people out. 
and they were not perfect. They were messy. But they were critical in God's kingdom because God uses sinners. Your pedigree, your social standing doesn't qualify you for the kingdom of God. In fact, we see in Matthew that Jesus came for the sinner, the exile, for the outcast. A prostitute and a king can sit down together as equals in God's kingdom. Do we realize the power that God's kingdom can give? No matter who you are, no matter what your background, he offers you to follow him. The world's values are completely turned upside down. Do we really understand this? Do we understand that no matter what your past decisions have been, no matter what you've been born into, no matter what you've done, Jesus comes for you. And Matthew reinforces this, especially in chapters 18 to 20. He challenges those who want to sit next to him in his kingdom. When talking about greatness, he says, make yourselves as humble as a child. You will be great in the kingdom. In 19, he wants children to come to him, also breaking some cultural barriers. We understand what God's kingdom is all about as we read through Matthew. But there's a call to the kingdom. Jesus Christ is not one more story pointing to an underlying reality. He is the one underlying reality that all stories point. He's punched a hole in the wall between ideology and reality, a hole in the wall that breaks through and gives life, a fullness of life in the kingdom of God. So the call this morning is, do you consider Jesus as your Lord and King? Lord and King of God's kingdom. If you do, do you expect the breakthrough of God's kingdom into your life? Into the life of those around you? Do you expect the inbreaking of the renewal, renewal, renewing work of God? Do you have things that, that hold you captive, addictions that you want to be freed from? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to see freedom in the areas of your life that bind you? Come with expectation, but not agenda. God's kingdom is not about our own agendas or demands, but we should have the expectation to see the power of God's kingdom, not constrained by us, but trusting our God. We trust him to know when and how he wants to move, and we know he will. Perhaps we could stand as, as we look to respond 
Um, we've, we've read the Jesus Storybook Bible to our kids since they were, were born. Um, and you can see it's been used a lot. But actually, it, it always encourages me when we start it again because it gives context of, of what God's kingdom is all about. So I'm just going to read the intro as we respond and we submit these things to God. Some people think that the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they're downright mean. No, the book, Bible's not a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful fairy tales that has come true in real life. The best thing about this story is it's true. <laughs> 